Tell Me More, a podcast where you can join Prabnor and Navia, two psychotherapy students, as they dive into various topics through a psychotherapy lens. This podcast will get you thinking and reflecting on all things mental health, ranging from self-care to learning more about what exactly cognitive behavior therapy is. We hope you stick around. In today's episode, we're excited to welcome back Alexia on our podcast. She was one of our psychotherapy classmates and also has a keen interest in emotion-focused therapy as well as emotion regulation skills. Welcome, Alexia. Everyone, so excited to be here. Yeah, how are you? I'm great. Uh, you know, just living, living the dream. Post-graduation vibes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So, so since we've last spoken to you, actually, could you tell us a bit more about what's been going on and where you are at at your journey right now? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, right now it's kind of that weird after graduation, what's going (laughs) on. I have been hired on with St. Joseph's West Fifth Hospital. So it's a mental health focused hospital. So I'll be doing some CBT focused therapy there. Yeah, and I'm just going to be continuing my training and I want to get like a trauma specialization. I want to learn more about DBT skills for different disorders, not just specifically for BPD, borderline personality disorder. So yeah, just like continuing my lifelong education goals. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I love it. I know I feel like we're always going to be lifelong learners in this career, so yeah. it's an ongoing process. Definitely. <laughs> so for today then, we're really excited to actually analyze the animated film Inside Out through this lens of emotions and therapy. And we thought, you know, what better person than to join us on today's episode to talk a bit more about Inside Out because you've done a lot of work with emotions and emotion regulation skills. So for those who are listening, a little bit about Inside Out. Inside Out is this movie that follows the character Riley, who is a happy, hockey-loving, 11-year-old Midwestern girl. Her world turns upside down when she and her parents decide to move to San Francisco. Riley's emotions, who are personified as characters in the film, they try to guide her through this difficult and life-changing event. Joy, who takes the lead in the initial stages of the film, is the one that really guides emotions and guides Riley throughout these events that are going on in her life. However, when we notice that stress of the move, it brings up sadness to the forefront. So when joy and sadness are inadvertently swept into the far reaches of Riley's mind, the only emotions that are left in the headquarters, so to say, are anger, fear, and disgust. So through the movie, we just really navigate how these three emotions are guiding Riley's journey and then also how joy and sadness are trying to make their way back. So I guess my first question to you both is what were your initial reactions or impressions of the movie Inside Out? Yeah, so I can start. The the first time I watched this movie, I think I just, like, I just watched it blindly. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, like, analyze it or anything. And I loved it because I, I think any time that there's, like, these kid movies or these cartoon movies or just movies in general that really simplify these really complex mm-hmm. concepts like emotions and how the brain works and there was all this stuff on, like, thoughts and processing, everything, I always find that so interesting. And it it reminded me of, I don't know if you guys have seen Osmosis Jones. No. Okay, a great movie. You should definitely watch it. That was a movie that I watched in my childhood that it shows white blood cells and, like, when a virus comes in. And it's basically, like, this cop movie like buddy buddy cop movie and and yeah but it it takes on this role of like everything that happens in our body but it does it in a way that's like really simplified and and can be entertaining 
So it made me it made me think of that the first time I watched it. When I watched it back for the purposes of this episode, I was just so annoyed with Joy. Like, yeah same yeah I was like okay she is the embodiment of toxic positivity yeah and just yeah. like so belittling and patronizing and also invalidating and it just like I think it just really annoyed me but yeah like the first time I watched it I was just like oh my god this is amazing and like what a time to be a kid learning about like all these really <laughs> cool concepts yeah I think that's such a good point because even the first time I watched it was okay, they have covered so much here. They've really simplified these concepts that I find very overwhelming and like difficult to track, especially the abstract thinking portion. And they're like, oh, we're on the next stage. We're on the next stage. And I was like, oh my goodness. This takes me back to like undergrad (laughs) cognition courses. But yeah, I feel like for any kid, right? Like going through life transitions, it's relatable. I think that's such a great step to to be able to get kids to think about, oh, these are my emotions and this is how they play a role. But totally joy, just too much. right? (laughs) It's like that that person on a Sunday morning who's like, be enthusiastic, be happy all the time. (laughs) And you just can't like you just can't do that all the time. So I think it was so cool to see just the battle almost between joy and sadness and how there doesn't have to be a battle. But it starts off like that. There's that conflict for them. I think I'm definitely in the same boat. The first time I was just watching it to watch it. And I remember sitting in the theaters with my brother and we were like, oh my God, it's so cool. They're talking about all these concepts. And then I was watching it again recently and it was so, so interesting how they actually brought in a lot of these bigger, more complicated concepts in a very, mm-hmm. you know, animated and exciting manner. I think the train of thought we were talking about how the train of thought was literally a train that was going around and they were sharing that it's on no schedule and then things like long-term memory and when they're fading away they're going away stuff like imagination land and dream productions and all these little aspects of it that are so cool even core memories so Mm -hmm. I, i loved how they brought in these very real so to say things that we talk about in a fun way and they're almost like teaching the kids that these are all concepts and aspects of our brain so it was actually really cool how they did do it but i 100 percent agree joy is a bit of a character (laughs) i'm wondering too i think this idea that the emotions are actually concrete in this movie right Mm -hmm. like they have characters they have personalities and they they interact with each other what do you guys think about that what were your initial reactions to that yeah so i mean i thought it was really interesting i really like how they start having like all the little orbs start like having multiple colors in them. I think that makes more sense. And I think it really goes because it is like a simplified version. Right. And I think like emotions are so complex and just like all the different flavors of emotions that are in our memories and like in the way that we interact with other people. um, It really is like a simplified version, but it's like a good way to kind of get your head around it. I thought it was really cool just the way, yeah, that I guess, like, when they took over the board, like, it, like, changed the emotion, changed the way that she was talking, and you could see, like, especially with fear and anger and disgust when they were kind of taking it over, and they kind of all had, they all had, like, a similar flavor of just, like, this sucks, and I don't know how to cope with this, so I'm kind of acting out here. So I thought that was really cool to watch them, like, go as a team, and then, like, sadness and joy, they're also kind of like a team, and, like, even... I, th- I I noticed it last night when I watched the movie, like Joy has the blue hair and the blue eyes. And I was like, I wonder if they did that on purpose because like Joy and Sadness go so much together. Oh, I was thinking that too. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that. Yeah. 
I think there's so many layers to it. And I think that's the lovely part of it that every time I watch it, something new comes up for me. And I'm like, oh, I never noticed that. Like, I think when we were planning this episode, Prabhnur had mentioned there's like a leader for each character in the movie that we get to dive into. And I was like, I never thought of that. I thought, you know, like I just thought, oh, this is like the parents' emotions and this is what's going on. But the dad being ruled by that anger and the mom by sadness, like just so many layers, so much to dive into. And I think that's so cool as well because yeah a lot of people do have this like primary emotional reaction that they jump to in a lot of situations it's something that comes a little bit more naturally and then the other ones are maybe more subtle and so for Riley it looked like joy was that primary one but then over time she had to learn to adapt to these life changes adapt to new ones so yeah I thought that was just such a cool part that I hadn't realized in the first the first watch yeah Yeah, and I think they're so distinct as well even within their emotions so I think initially I I couldn't figure out if they were actually feeling other emotions than what they're designated to feel so Mm -hmm. I remember at one point when they were all like oh well mom said something nice now oh joy it's your turn you know like you you jump in and now you're gonna be happy and that makes me wonder then with the mom having sadness at the forefront does that change how she perceives the world and same with the father with anger at the forefront does he change how he like sees the world and how he responds to certain things so that was an interesting take on it as well and I think it's really cool to see this is like in the end in the end credits I'm not sure if ever anyone saw it but then they're like the dogs and then in the dog's head there were all these emotions and they were all yeah. sort of just like leading towards food I think in the cat's <laughs> mind yeah. nothing was going on I thought that was hilarious and how everyone, every character that we like had, had a glimpse of in the movie, they also mm-hmm. showed their, I guess, headquarters. And yeah, it was just really cool to see how everyone's being run by someone else. And I wonder if that really drives how they represent themselves in the world as well. Well, it's funny how like the bus driver, it was all anger. <laughs> they were all just exploding oh, yeah. with anger because <laughs> there was like kids yelling in the background. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> like, just so yeah. good. I think, like, the part that you said about the the parents' relationship, mm-hmm. I was watching this and just being like, this is such a sad representation of, like, a family, of, like, a married couple. Like, it's so, I know it's like they're playing into the stereotype of, you know, the mom's fantasizing about some other guy and the, ga- the dad <laughs> is, like, useless and distracted thinking about hockey. Like, it's very much, like, playing into that stereotype just, like, for the laugh, but... I, I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is so, I don't know, it just felt, like, sad to me that this is, like, the representation that we're giving to kids about, like, what a normal, a normal, I'm doing, like, air quotes, like, a normal relationship looks like between parents. It's so sad, and, yeah, I don't know, it just felt really, like, felt really toxic to watch, especially with, like, the dad's main emotion being anger and the mom's main emotion being sadness. Like, what is that saying about these roles that we're giving hetero kids to get into when they're getting married it's like you're just gonna be depressed when when you marry like a man and like the the guy's just gonna be like quick to anger and that's okay because that's just how guys are like I feel like it's um Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like they could have done a little bit better there but I guess that's also just kind of like the the society that we live in right now a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I guess it's this yeah this balance between keeping it relatable right for some for some kids and something that maybe a lot of them do experience with like it's not always like this there's families you know like there's very different relationships and very different leaders for each person 
And I think, Pravner, what you mentioned about does the emotion that's primary for that person impact how they relate to the world? I think it was so cool to see how a happy memory, again, quotations, can be turned into a sad experience just by sadness, like touching that memory, right? And I think that's such an interesting part of it because there's maybe like a lot of emotions at play in every memory that we have. It's more so what's more salient for us, what stands out more. And sometimes given our own state of mind, given what we're going through in that moment, our memories can transition, they can shift, they can adapt, they change quite a bit. So I think that was very cool to see. Memories are not fixed. They're not Mm -hmm. something that are always going to be the same way, but our emotions change how we see that memory. I think too, especially with the whole idea of like loss and sadness. Mm -hmm. So it's like Riley specifically in this instance was moving away. So like all of this stuff is now like not a thing for her. It's in the past. So Mm -hmm. it makes sense that all these happy memories would now be sad because she's losing that. And it's kind of like uh, Brene Brown kind of talks about it with like vulnerability and, and how you can't have happiness without shame I think it is if it's a happiness but basically she's saying how like there's it's like you can't have one without the other and I feel like sadness and happiness are or, or joy are the same thing right like where if you really love something or something makes you happy like yeah it makes sense that if you lose that thing you're gonna mm-hmm. feel sad because it's something that you cared about so much or it's something that brought you so much happiness so it's like sadness is a key identifier of like, I'm losing something that was really important to me. And like, that's one of the functions of sadness too. Yeah, that function piece where in the beginning they were talking about how each, each, you know, emotion serves a function, but sadness doesn't seem to really have one. So we'll just leave her here. Mm -hmm. I think that part of how sometimes it's hard to identify what all of our emotions can mean for us. And that's a big thing. And I know that's something that we sometimes talk about in therapy as well. But this idea that every emotion generally serves a a bit of a function. And even now you were talking one about disgust and how they can then sort of tell us a bit more about what we need to do or how we need to respond in a particular situation. Yeah, I love that opening sequence of each of the the different emotions and how they they take on a role, right? Like they take on that primary role depending on the cues, depending on the situation. And so, yeah, with disgust, I think it was the scene about broccoli and how uh, disgust comes in and asks, oh, is it poisonous? Like, is this going to make us sick? What's going to happen, right? Let's assess the situation. And so she was like, no, it's broccoli. We don't, we don't want that. Let's get rid of that. And actually a, co- a cool fact I read about is that they changed like what vegetable they use depending on the cultural context of where the film was oh. being watched. So in Japan, most kids actually really like broccoli so they changed it to green peppers so anyways that's a little bit of cultural lens to it but something to think about like these are also very culturally specific emotions too like when they come up and which ones are appropriate to share which ones are not so I think that's another whole different lens to really look at the movie through it reminded me too of I mean we talk about it in emotion regulation skills but also in evolution psychology I don't know if either of you took that in undergrad I took it it was like one of my favorite classes because it's so it's just so cool but how all the emotions have a function like if you look at it from an Mm -hmm. evolutionary lens like it's like they're also a purpose exactly what you're saying Nadia and so I wrote down what Joy said for each one and so for fear, it's uh, good at keeping Riley safe. 
or he's good at keeping Riley safe, disgust is good at keeping Riley from getting poisoned. So, like, you're saying with the broccoli, like, we don't want to get poisoned. This is a new thing. I don't know if we like this. Um, Anger cares very deeply about keeping things fair, which I love the way that they describe that because there is, like, we see anger when there's, like, this injustice or, like, when we're being disrespected in some way. So, yeah, and I like how she said, like, cares very deeply (laughs) because, like, as we know, anger just, like, explodes because like yeah he's like very passionate about keeping like the justice going and then yeah for sadness she goes I'm not actually sure what she does and there's nowhere else for her to go I've checked and she like is basically talking about how she just wants to get rid of sadness yeah which I think we see a lot with anybody in general like I don't think many of us Mm -hmm. like to feel sadness because it kind of is harder emotion to feel Mm -hmm. like it's not a fun time it's not joy right like so I think I like the way that they kind of depicted like yeah I don't really know why I have this sadness and I don't really want it here and I can't really do anything about it but I wish it wasn't here like almost trying to like push these not pleasurable emotions away and out of sight Mm -hmm. and I and I love the piece and I think this is towards the end of the movie is when Joy is trying to get back and she's looking at one of those memory orbs and she sees this one memory that is actually a joyful memory. This is her, I think she's with her like team and they're like cheering her on yeah. and and as a Joy like rewinds the memory, which I think is so cool by the way, <laughs> she yeah. rewinds the memory. It was actually a sad memory initially. Mm-hmm. It was of her sitting alone on a tree branch and being sad. And that's when her parents came on. And then she moved away to her friends. And that's when her friends cheered her on. So yeah. at that point, I think that that was one of those shifting moments for Joy actually to notice that, hold on a second, there is mm-hmm. a purpose to sadness. And there's also maybe that realization that you can't just have one emotion in one memory all the time this piece where she's like no sadness you actually do serve a purpose you are the one that then attracts family and friends for support Mm -hmm. because that's what happened is when she rewinded that memory that's when that joy came in because there was sadness initially so you're almost like you're reaching out for help and you're able to get it so I think Mm -hmm. that was I really like that scene when joy finally was like oh hold on you can't just have one emotion associated to one particular memory at all times. Yeah, sadness was like yeah. a signal for that, right? And yeah, and we saw it with uh, like exactly. with Bing Bong too. Like yeah, <laughs> Bing Bong was like sad, and then all of a sudden, like Joy's trying to like make all these funny faces, and it's like not helping the situation <laughs> because that's what Joy does. And uh, and then sadness came in, and like you see like this this like profound like empathy that sadness and it's so it's like that connection piece too of this is how we signal to other people that we're feeling you know upset or something like wrong is how or like we need some extra support or whatever and it's also this connection piece of like I can now empathize with you because like yeah like life has sad stuff in it that's just part of life like we have the happy we have the sad and that's just life and yeah being able to empathize with other people it's usually because we've had our own experiences with like that emotion, maybe not that specific mm-hmm. thing, but it's like that emotion yeah. we can kind of like grapple with and say like, oh yeah, I get how you're feeling. Like that does suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of tap into it without trying to problem solve or push through or move past. Right. But more so let's just sit with it. And I think that was so beautiful because joy was like, come on, we got to go. Like we have a train to catch. We need to keep moving. And sadness was like, no, we're just going to have a conversation. We're going to take a moment because that can help us move forward in the long run rather than having to push through or repress those emotions. So, oh, just so beautiful. I, I love just that relationship and how it adapts and then how we get to see sadness is so powerful. 
has such a key role to play and by pushing it away we were actually doing it quite a disservice not really getting to feel all the feels but more so selectively doing so I really like too how they characterize sadness as just like being like very inactive and just kind of like laying and joys like dragging her around yeah yeah, yeah, it's so great that they did that because sadness is very much like an inactive emotion, whereas you see something like anger and joy and like those are active emotions where especially anger, like you jump into action. That's kind of how that emotion works. But sadness, it's very much like, OK, I want to curl up in a ball now and I just need to like, yeah, mm-hmm. like be sad and like immobile and like don't talk to me. And we see that like in depression, too. Right. Like if somebody yeah. has like pretty severe depression, they start going into this kind of like how sadness is, you know, like it's a lot less active. It's a lot. That's why we have like treatments like behavioral activation and things like that, because very much like the coping strategy is like, I'm just like trying to cocoon from the world right now. And don't bug me. (laughs) Yeah, I think I really did appreciate how they really showed all the emotions being very representative, how we would actually physically be maybe doing something or feeling something the joy of jumping up and down the yeah. sadness just sitting there laying down oh the amount of times i just wanted to sit and lay and not do anything yeah. and then the anger when it's head exploding with fire yeah. on top sometimes <laughs> you just physically feel like you are going to explode and you're so hot so i think i love that representation because even thinking about kids who are watching this movie mm-hmm. maybe they can learn to identify some of those physical feelings or what they're doing with some of those emotions by being like oh like that green character I felt disgust in this moment or like that blue one I, w- I just wanted to sit down or lay down so I think it's a great way to really start to learn and identify your own emotions as well in that manner yeah mm-hmm. and like such concrete body language with each of those characters mm-hmm. that you can then see it in other people as well right like for for fear that running around that worrying that list making all of that the curling the curling yeah. right like making causing distance avoiding things I think then they might be able to notice like oh maybe my mom is feeling a little bit fearful right now right or I'm noticing these these cues and that just might make them slightly more empathetic slightly more understanding of what's happening for themselves and others so I think the way you use this movie for kids, like in your own life or or others, can go a pretty long way, at least to start them off with, like, these are emotions. Yeah, which is something I wish, I wish we taught in school. I know. I feel like a lot of the time, especially if I'm doing like a, like an emotional regulation skills group, uh, the, the topic of discussion always comes up once throughout like the whole protocol Mm -hmm. where it's like I wish I learned this in school or I wish we like as human beings just like talked about emotions more or like you know just I feel like it would help me to identify my own stuff if like this was more of a conversation from a young age and I can relate to that fully because I'm just like I wish this was something like instead of like I don't know maybe not instead of math but like (laughs) concurrent to math I wish we were also learning about communication styles and like different emotions and how that affects you and monitoring yourself for your own emotions I really like how Riley they show her like face getting red and they show like the actual like exactly what you're saying how like the emotions manifest like those physical Mm -hmm. sensations or like the action urges or um, the behaviors like Riley shows that too and and you can kind of see it's like very subtle 
and talking about how these should be taught in skill I, I know I've had so many conversations with others where we're talking about how a lot of the, even the skills that we talk about in therapy can really just be thought about as life skills and how they would be yeah. so helpful to really have at a young age as we're going through scroll learning more about oh these are the communication styles and you know sometimes you should try to be more assertive in certain situations and try to be a different kind of communicator in a different situation so just learning how to identify emotions and how to address them if you are feeling a certain thing is such an important life skill that would have gone a long way had we had the opportunity to learn them at a young age and I hope we see that shift I'm not sure if we will in the recent years but maybe maybe soon I hope so too yeah I remember I think it was at some point in my education probably at a very young age they had these like emotion walls sometimes Mm -hmm. where it was like identify like what emotion you're feeling today so I think that's like a good start to at least start to notice but it's so true I think the in the emotion regulation skills group I've been in, the first chunk of it is all about like, what are emotions? What do they look like? What purpose do they serve? And and it's it sounds simple. It's like, yeah, emotions, we feel those all the time, but I've learned so much myself just even going through that group and getting to learn from the facilitators and then being able to deliver that myself. And uh, again, like that same concept comes up where it's like, this should be in our water, you know, <laughs> like this kind of stuff. We got gotta just send it out there, broadcast it somehow because there's so many negative effects of not appreciating all your emotions, of not getting a chance to feel everything. And yeah, that's where a lot of concerns can come up, a lot of interpersonal difficulties, a lot of personal problems. So absolutely so much value to it. Well, that's kind of where you see like the invalidating Mm -hmm. emotions or repressing emotions, pushing them down because like a lot of the time we feel maybe shame or maybe embarrassment or like what or like just even just invalidating like I shouldn't be feeling this right now Mm -hmm. like especially around things like anger things like sadness for example it's like those those emotions that we don't like to touch in our society or we don't like to show like it's just almost like we're taught that it's like inappropriate to kind of show those things to people and so we start pushing them down or we start kind of not speaking to them or pretending like they're not a thing and a lot of the time that's where we kind of will see people struggling with emotion regulation is because and that's why we do start it with emotion regulation skills is because it's like okay these emotions are all natural it's valid to be feeling the emotions let's say your friend doesn't bring you a coffee by accident and you're like angry about it and then if you're just sitting there being like I should not be feeling angry right now that's so petty and you're like judging yourself you're being critical of yourself you're feeling like maybe some shame for feeling that anger Mm -hmm. you're throwing more emotions on the fire and it's like regardless of whether you want to be feeling the anger or not it's there Mm -hmm. and by not acknowledging or validating that it is there that's what kind of makes like the situation a little bit more messy or that's when you start to see the shame and guilt spirals right for like feeling the anger whereas like if we can kind of sit back and be like okay anger is coming up for me right now and that's okay like that's just like my reaction to the situation it's it's Mm -hmm. all cool that's a more uh, adaptive way to cope but yeah like a lot of the time anger and sadness and especially like those ones are like the big ones that we kind of see those come up and we're like ew I should not be feeling this get away and then that's when we start pushing down emotions and like start trying to repress them right and that's where a lot of issues can come up that also really reminds me of that 
scene in the very beginning when sadness is touching the different memory orbs and even other things and that's when chaos sort of breaks loose in Mm -hmm. headquarters and that's where all the emotions are trying to help and like hold on to like the main control board and they're all Mm -hmm. talking and they're all trying to control different things and that's when sadness and joy sort of get swept up into the depths of riley's mind so it almost feels like that moment when if you're trying to repress that anger or try to push things away it sort of causes chaos in your own mind where you might not ultimately get to a result that you want to rather if you were just to sit with it and acknowledge your emotions and then maybe move past it kind of like with what sadness did with bing bong maybe you'll come Mm -hmm. to a better resolve that is a bit more supportive to you in that moment so i watched this movie with my mom and my best friend last night and when sadness was (laughs) so funny when sadness was like going to touch the orbs and was turning them blue my mom was like what's wrong with her what is she doing (laughs) why is she doing that she said it like a lot more uh, colorful (laughs) like that's what came up and uh and then I was like no look at the situation right like so like it makes sense why sadness would be coming up Mm -hmm. and like trying to touch things because this situation is calling for sadness she's losing her whole childhood her whole life I'm sure like aging comes with that too like she's at I think she's like 12 or 11 yeah she's kind of like at that age and at the end they kind of say like what's puberty like so she's like getting around that age where yeah there's like this loss of childhood there's loss of the connections that you had with your parents everything's shifting everything's changing and then you throw a giant move on top Mm -hmm. of that it's a lot of stress right and it makes sense why sadness would be coming up. And then, yeah, you see Joy really doubling down and saying, sadness, say it. Like, she draws her, like, a little circle. <laughs> She's like, say in the circle of sadness. Like, it's like, oh, what are you doing? And she makes her read all the manuals and everything. She's like, it's a really important job. Like, whatever. And, yeah, like, that's, I think that's why, like, sadness starts touching more things and starts getting that urge to touch the board and everything because, Whenever you try to repress an emotion, especially sadness, like whenever you try to repress that and push that away, it's going to come up. Mm -hmm. So like in therapy, we have this analogy of like the beach ball. There's also a pop can one, but like the beach ball is essentially just like you take a beach ball, you shove it under the water and what happens it's like it's gonna hit you in the face with full force when you least expect it or like at a time that's not convenient for you but the point is it's gonna hit you in the face at some point with full force Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what happens with emotions so like if the beach ball is the emotions we're trying to push those down because we're like i don't want to feel this and then at some point and probably at a time that's not convenient or like appropriate it's gonna come full force and it's just gonna like explode and hit you in the face and so that's kind of like what we see with with sadness like touching all the things and then you know riley like keeps pushing it down they get lost and then at the very end she finally gets to like feel that sadness yeah Yeah. And one piece that you mentioned there, Alexia, about, you know, how she's losing that childhood that she's growing up. I think that was so well represented with those, you know, personality islands. So each of her core memories was really fueling these different aspects of her personality. So they called, they said that every core memory, which is like a really impactful memory that Riley had, helped her build a part of her personality through these figurative Mm -hmm. islands that she's created. So there was like family, friends, honesty I think goofball island and like hockey so we noticed how when she lost all those core memories she also lost that connection to those islands or that part of her personality but we also Mm -hmm. noticed how 
as she was, you know, as that change was happening, there were a lot of things that were happening around her that was making her maybe shift part of her personality. Like as we're growing up, different parts of us evolve and different things that we don't think are as fitting, we lose. Like that goofball island, maybe it was really helpful as a kid, you know, you're trying to have fun, you're enjoying. But I can imagine as a, you know, young professional, maybe that part isn't as helpful in like a work setting, so to say. Mm-hmm. But that could be helpful in other other areas so it was it was neat to see by the end of the movie how it wasn't just like five islands that she had there were so many other aspects of it and they had all evolved into form like different things so I really liked how they really represented that as well and showed that shift from childhood to I guess now moving into adolescence how that looked for her in her mind absolutely and again so relatable right Mm -hmm. I think all of us can relate to it and many other kids can as well and I I remember watching this movie with actually my two younger cousins and just observing like their reactions how they feel about it and it was such a good discussion to have afterwards and they're like yeah like she was so angry here and she was so sad and she was mad at her friend and then Friendship Island and I was like yeah let's talk about that like I think it's so great to be able to even think about what kinds of memories, what kinds of emotions are fueling aspects of our personality and how we react to people, how we interact with people as well. One thing that I found really interesting was at the end of the movie, kind of like the circuit, the emotion circuit board starts going black mm-hmm. and uh, and then anger and disgust and, and fear. I keep wanting to call him anxiety because I think to me, like when I see him, I'm like, oh, this is my anxiety. That's my anxiety right there, like embodied. But yeah, like they're all fighting over like trying to fix the circuit board and Riley's running away and they're like, this is a mistake. Like, And then the circuit board goes black. Mm. It kind of goes with this idea from like that we learn in emotion regulation skills about how you can't just numb one emotion or you can't just turn off one emotion or repress one emotion. So, you know, you we were seeing that with sadness at the very beginning right so joy is just like no stay in your circle so that's like the repression of that emotion this is like an ugly i'm doing air quotes this is an ugly emotion and i don't want to feel it so go away and so yeah we see like how that slowly turns into like okay she wasn't letting herself feel her sadness for like this giant event that called for sadness she lost her joy and then she starts like that blackness over the circuit board is like her becoming numb just like in general. So it's like no emotions are getting felt now. And that's kind of what we see in emotion regulation skills groups is that like a lot of the time people try to repress these emotions, then you end up going into like this, this numbness, right? Where like, it's hard to feel anything at that point. Because yeah, what we know is like, you can't selectively ignore or repress emotions. It's just like the whole you lose the whole range of things. So now you're no longer feeling the bad stuff, but you're also no longer feeling the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And kind of like that numbness can cause a lot of people distress because it's like, okay, well, what's what's going on here? Yeah, exactly. yeah. Like, where's the meaning in life? Where, Like, where's the connection? Yeah. Where are the things I used to enjoy? And you're right. Like, there's that two sides of it, right? We can't just push down the bad emotion, bad air quotes again, bad emotions, but all of them come into play and all of them get affected. And uh, what is emotion regulation skills? Like, I think we're thinking maybe we should kind of define that a little bit. Emotion regulation skills, you can kind of think, derive from DBT skills. So DBT is dialectical behavior therapy. That was started by Marsha Linehan years ago. (laughs) Not exactly how many years, but Marsha Linehan was the one that started it. And DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, was created for individuals with chronic suicidality. 
as well as individuals who self-harm as like a coping mechanism, right? And then from there, it kind of got derived into like all these, it, it can be used for like eating disorders, it can be used for substance use disorder. There's a lot of research that's starting to come up now that kind of shows that. Yeah, so DBT is, uh, it's broken down into four different areas. It's distress tolerance, mindfulness, interpersonal skills, and emotion regulation. So the original DBT therapy treatment, it's two hours a week of learning skills, one hour a week of individual therapy, and then on-call like coaching skills, like from your therapist Mm -hmm. or like whatever the on-call team is. And that's because a lot of these individuals who are using DBT, they are, they can show like some pretty, pretty intense dysregulation. And because of that chronic suicidality piece. So a lot of, a lot of individuals, especially in the original uh, use of this treatment, Mm -hmm. they are showing like, you know, more impulsivity, maybe more self-harm that can be really dangerous to their health or, or their life. Um, or that chronic suicidality piece. So they, they might be at risk for themselves or others even. So that's why that coaching piece is there. That is actually like really hard to get funding for. It's very expensive. So like you'll still see that in a couple of like privatized settings where you can get the whole shebang. But a lot of what a lot of uh, these like uh, organizations and what a lot of like mental health teams are doing now is taking like a DBT skills approach. So it's kind of just doing the skills. And then usually people who are going into like these skills groups, they already have their own therapist or their own counselor. Or sometimes they'll sign like a little contract that says like, okay, I'll use like a crisis line like Coast or Barrett Center if if I need to. So they're kind of outsourcing all these different things. And then it's, it's just the skills group that they're doing. And then they're kind of at this agreement with the client or the patient that, okay, you're also going to have a therapist over here that you're going to see. And then you're also going to have, you know, these crisis lines, which are really great because then it, it's less stress on the uh, the actual mental health care team. Mm-hmm. So more people can actually get care because it's a more affordable mm-hmm. way to do these things, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that's DBT skills. And then from that, uh, emotion regulation skills is like an even lesser version of that. Not that it's lesser. It's just, you know, it's just one part of mm-hmm. the DBT skills, right? So you're kind of picking and choosing from this therapy in order to help people with the emotion regulation piece. So specifically with uh, with St. Joe's, so where, where we all did our, our practicum, the Mood Disorders Program, they have an emotion regulation skills group there. So that one specifically was developed for people who have mood disorders, specifically depression. And so that one's a little bit more catered to like a depressed person's manifestation of emotion regulation skills. Like what would happen is like you'd see a client and they're maybe showing some dysregulation. And what that can look like is there's there's like a window of coping. There's hyper arousal and then there's hypo arousal. So within the window of coping is kind of like air quotes, like normal uh, regulation, like you're kind of just like, it's just like right now, just vibing. And then if something happens and you go into hyper arousal, that can look like anxiety, that can look like panic attacks, it could look like, you know, uh, if we're thinking physical sensations, it can look like having a lot of energy in your body, going red, things like that. Just like being, yeah, like exactly what the word says, hyper aroused. You can think of it almost as like going into like fight flight 
mode. A lot of people kind of know that term. And then hypoarousal is like under the window of coping. So that's more like you'll see like numbness, Mm -hmm. you'll see dissociation. So that's like the freeze response. So if you think of like a, like a threat response, it's like fight, flight, freeze. There's also fawn, but we won't get into that. And so freeze is that hypoarousal. And so emotion regulation skills kind of helps like build that window of coping. So it's to help you either make the window of coping bigger uh, so that you're not constantly going into hyper or hypo arousal, or it's to help you get back into the window of coping. So, you know, like, let's say I'm having a panic attack. I'm way up here. I'm pointing like up because that's my hyper arousal. (laughs) It's going to help you kind of like develop the skills to come back down. So the skills that we kind of use in emotion regulation is kind of like Navi was saying. The very beginning is what are emotions? What are the functions? That's to kind of help with like the judgment that we can have towards emotions. And then there's also distress tolerance. So that can look like uh, like tip skills. So they're like these, these little, I call them like hacks, right? So they're biochemical hacks that you can actually do to bring yourself back into the window of coping. Um, and then there's like distraction skills, there's coping ahead, there's all these different skills that you can kind of Google and especially if you look up DBT skills and if it is something that you're interested in, it's it's really great to learn, especially for future therapists and clinicians. But yeah, like that's that's the that's the breakdown. <laughs> I feel like I really went into it. No, it's quite a complicated area. I've done a couple of ERS groups, so I know it draws on a lot of different aspects. And then the way I think about it is a toolbox for your emotions, right? It's these very practical strategies like the hacks that Alexia mentioned to really help you get into that window of tolerance or coping or to expand it, right? Depending on who you are. And a lot of it is even self-reflection. So what are my emotions like? What comes up for me? What are situations that bring up strong emotions? And one of my favorite parts of it is this model of emotions. And we talk about it like this was the trigger. This is what happened. These were the thoughts. And really understanding and validating, oh, no wonder I was feeling sadness because all these things happened. What was the action urge? And then what was the effect of the sadness so that we can then learn something from it? It's a very interesting group. It's something that I would recommend definitely looking into or even like looking up some of those strategies for sure because I think they're so practical and definitely can help any of us with situations where we notice those heightened emotions. So hopefully those who are listening got a little bit more information on what emotion regulation skills can look like. But I'm wondering, finally, as like our last thought for the episode today is what are some of your takeaways from the movie related to emotion regulation skills or just emotion? Anything that stood out to you? Yeah, I feel like, okay, for me, <laughs> I I do struggle with like emotions because I feel emotions very intensely, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the time I'm very much the person that's, ew, I don't want to feel sad. <laughs> that's, that's just nasty. For me, it is sadness for sure. Like I'm just like, Ew, no, get away. Mm-hmm. But watching the movie, it's really funny because I'm like yelling at Joy the whole time yeah. <laughs> for not letting sadness do her thing. I think like maybe that was the realization for me. It's like sadness does serve a function. And I know that. But it's nice to actually like watch it and like yeah. kind of reflect on myself cheering for sadness mm-hmm. and almost like yelling at Joy to just let the girl feel sad. Like, come on, like there it's there for a purpose. And you're just making everything worse. By not letting her feel sad for like 
what, like a day, like a couple of days, like let her just feel sad and go through the fields. I think for me, that was like, that was the take home point. I think just like for my own personal life too, it's just, ugh. yes, I hate feeling sad, but also like it's there for a reason, it serves a function. Yeah, I agree. I think it was the same for me. And also this idea that when we're able to externalize it, right, like see it as characters, see it for someone else's life, it helps put things into context. And so, yeah, I think through this movie, I just have a greater appreciation for emotion regulation skills generally and how complex everyone's lives are. And some empathy can go a long way. Some self-compassion can go a long way. And just striving to feel all the feels and support others <laughs> is my takeaway. Yeah. yeah. What about for you, Prabhna? I think for me, it was definitely the end scene when they were talking about how every memory isn't just one emotion. And I think mm -hmm. that's so important because you can't just have like all joyful memories. And similarly, you yeah. don't want to have just sad memories. You might, and that's okay as well. But really, most of our memories or our day-to-day -day experiences are a combination of different emotions and feelings. So I think that was the mm -hmm. big takeaway that it's okay if you have some really joyful, some sad memories, but you'll notice that a lot of them might have a mix of a couple. You'll have some angry and some sad emotions and like memories, but even some happy and sad memories. And that's that, and that's just a part of life. So I think that that was my big takeaway that each memory is like a combination of multiple emotions. Yeah, I feel like it would, it would, I was saying this last night too. So if anybody hears this podcast and has some sort of control over like what movies get made or like ideas or whatever, like please take this and run with it. Yes. But I think it would have been so cool to watch the inside of like just different people's yeah. brains, right? Like I wanted like her parents, <laughs> this is like me as like a, like a cliche child of divorce, but I thought it would have been so cool to watch her parents get a divorce and see the emotions run in there. Like, I thought that would have been amazing. Like, especially for kids of divorce. I think that would have been such, like, a cool little movie just to be like, yeah, we get it. Like, there's a lot of, like, emotions going on. And, like, it's okay. I also thought it'd be really interesting to see, like, like addiction. Mm -hmm. Like, and all the emotions kind of, like, amping up because of, like, addiction and, like, what's happening in there. Like, yeah, I just thought, like, it's such, like, a cool concept. And I wish, like, we could just see it in... Kind of like in that end sequence where you see like all the different <laughs> people inside of their brains. I think it'd be so cool to like watch some sort of like adult version of this movie where we're like grappling with like some some really hardcore mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, almost like little case studies, like spin-off case studies and yeah. then looking at the emotion. I think we need to pitch this. I don't know to who and yeah. how, but somehow. So Inside Out, part two and three, we have in the works. Yes. Uh, Navya and Prabhupada <laughs> and Alexia are ready to support you in the screenwriting process. Yes. Anyone out there sending out signals? <laughs> No, but thank you so much, Alexia, for joining us in today's episode. I think this was such a such a fun topic to explore and look into in terms of this movie as well. So thank you so much for joining us and talking about emotions and Inside Out. It was a fun time. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Just as we end, we wanted to remind you that this information is meant to be purely educational. We are not health professionals, just graduate students navigating these topics with you. Any podcast content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So we recommend that you always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions regarding your mental health and well-being. 
We also wanted to share some resources with you. This includes Good to Talk, which is a confidential mental health support for post-secondary students in Ontario and Nova Scotia, Kids Help Phone, which offers free counseling and is also a free crisis text line service offered 24-7, Connects Ontario, Wellness Together Canada, Virtue Mental, and as always, we encourage you to check out your own mental health resources in your local areas and please reach out for them if you need that extra support. You can connect with us through our email, which is so tell me more podcast at gmail.com and our Instagram page at so tell me more podcast. Check out our Instagram page for future updates and it's a great way to share what you're interested in hearing on the podcast or any other feedback that you might have. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast listening app. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned something new or simply enjoyed our exploration of Inside Out. We're excited to continue exploring new topics in future episodes. But for now, stay safe and take care.